Last week we saw the creation of the universe. God spoke it into being. All the stars and the plants and the animals and the birds and the trees and the fish. Today we look at the crown of God's creation. God created man in his image. We turn to Genesis chapter 1 beginning at verse 26. And we read through verse 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for creating us in your image, according to your likeness. Thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you, Lord, for giving us life. And thank you for giving us your Son that we might experience eternal life, abundant life in you. And so teach us, we pray, as we open the pages of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The culture in which we live today is very confused. Would you agree with that? I saw a snapshot of this uh, a few years ago when I was driving in my car. There was a car in front of me that had two bumper stickers on it. And one bumper sticker said, uh, save the dolphins. And the other bumper sticker said, keep abortion legal. And I looked at that and I thought, how, how confused can you get? Now, I'm not in favor of slaughtering the dolphins, unless maybe it's a football game against the dolphins. But we like the dolphins, of course. But how, how does a culture get to the point where you say that taking the life of an unborn child, one created in the image of God, should be legal, should be fine, should be okay, and then... Yet more important seems to be the life of, of a dolphin. If you wonder where this kind of thinking comes from, it really goes back to a rejection of the Word of God, and in particular, a rejection of the book of Genesis. Evolution has become the religion of our day. And according to the doctrine of evolution, there is nothing special about man. We're just part of the chain, you know, we're just along with the gnats and bugs and birds and cattle. We're just, you know, part of the evolutionary chain and there's nothing really special 
about us. In fact, they even go farther to say that we are really the problem. (laughs) Man. So what does the Bible say about man? The Bible makes it very clear in Genesis chapter 1 that that man is the crown of God's creation. That is seen in three ways that we want to note this morning. Notice, first of all, that man was created according to God's timing. Notice how our text begins with the word then, which tells us that some other things happened before this event. Adam was created on the sixth day of creation after everything else had been made. Ever wondered why? Ever wondered why God waited until the sixth day to create Adam and Eve? Adam was created on the sixth day, so everything he needed was in place before God had made him. And this shows us that God is the one who provides for our needs, and we don't have to worry about our daily bread. Look at verse 29, where God said to Adam, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And so all of that had been made. God had created it all, and then God created Adam. God provided everything he needed before he made him. I think of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus reminds us of this, that he is our provider. He will take care of us. He says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink. Nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then Jesus says this, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then Jesus makes this statement. A question which has an obvious answer. Are you not worth much more than they? What's the answer to that question? The answer to that question is absolutely. God created the birds of the air. God created the cattle, the creeping things. But we are the crown of His creation. Are you not more valuable, worth much more than they? And the obvious answer to that is yes. And then Jesus ends this section by saying, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So Adam didn't have to wonder how he would survive. God provided everything he needed before he was created. Another reason Adam was created on the sixth day is because it would be forever clear that God alone is the creator of all things. He did not need to consult us. He did not need our plan or our ideas or our wisdom in creating the heavens of the earth. He was perfectly capable on his own. And it reminds me of the book of Job. Remember Job coming to God with these questions of why trouble came into his life? And his friends, of course, they had all the answers. You've sinned and that's why it's happened. And Job maintained, no, it's, it's not that. And he never really got an answer from God. 
But in chapter 38, this is what God said to Job. He brings it back to creation. Job 38, And the Lord answered Job out of the world when and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you and you instruct me. <laughs> Interesting, God speaking. Okay, Job, if you have wisdom, teach me. And then the Lord says, Where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me. If you have understanding, who set its measurement since, you know, or who stretched the line on it on what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Where were you when God created all these things? Job was nowhere to be found. We were nowhere to be found. Adam was nowhere to be found. But God was there. And God created all these things. And that ought to cause us to bow at His feet in awe and majesty and in honor of this great and awesome God who, who spoke everything into existence. And then who made us in His image. So man was created according to God's timing. Second lesson we learn is that man was created after God's deliberation. You know, there's an obvious change in the creation account when it comes to the creation of man. Prior to this, we see phrases like, God said, let there be, or God made, and boom, they came into existence. Last week I said, that's the big bang. God spoke and bang, it happened, right? Spoke it into existence. But there's a change when it comes to the creation of man. And here we see some kind of divine deliberation that took place between the three persons of the Trinity. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God said, let us make man in our image. So there was some kind of divine deliberation before man was created. And it's interesting, that phrase... You find it in a few places in the book of Genesis. This same deliberation as God within the the three persons of the Trinity. And it seems to be used at a time when something significant is happening. At the end of chapter 3 of Genesis, when God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden, we find this phrase. Verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taking. Again, this divine deliberation. 
Chapter 11, we find it again at the Tower of Babel. Remember when they were building this tower and they were saying, we don't want to be scattered across the face of the earth and we are going to be one group and one language. And God said in Genesis 11:5, it says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they begin to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. God says, come, let us go down there and confuse their language. So when you see that phrase or that concept of, of this divine deliberation, it's like a red flag. It's like a flashing light. It said, this is important. Don't miss this. Catch this. And it began the first time then with the creation of man, as if God were saying, pay attention here, I am doing something important. And obviously we see in the context that man is the crown of God's creation. He rules over the fish and over the birds and over all that God has made. There's something special about us. Matthew Henry says man's creation was a more signal and immediate act of divine wisdom and power than that of the other creatures. The narrative of it is introduced with something of solemnity, a manifest distinction from the rest. Yes, indeed, we are the crown of God's creation. The third thing we notice is that man was created in God's image. Let us make man in our image. Verse 26 says, according to our likeness. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Well, that's a phrase we use a lot, the image of God. But what, what really does that mean? What does it mean to be created in the image of, of God? Uh, we certainly wouldn't look at it in a physical sense because God is a spirit. But there seems to be three clear ways that we are made in the image of God. For one thing, we are personal beings. We have intellect. We have will. We have emotion. In other words, we can think and we can choose and we can feel all kinds of emotions. And you've done that already today. Do you know that? You used your mind this morning. You made choices, your will. You decided to come here. And you are feeling emotions now, the joy of hearing a sermon, right? So you are a personal being, mind and will and emotion, and some of you are thinking, I hope he ends soon, a very different emotion. So we are personal beings, distinct from a tree or a bird or a fish or a dog. We are personal beings. We are also moral beings, conscious of right and wrong. Our conscience applauds us when we do what is right, accuses us when we do what is wrong, because God has written his law in our hearts. And so, besides being personal beings, we are moral beings and we are eternal beings. We have a soul that will live forever. And so, all of this makes us different from anything else that God has created. We are more valuable any, than anything else in the world because we have been made in the image of our Creator. 
the likeness of God. And that's why the life of a baby in the womb has value. Because that baby has been created in the image of God. That's why a child that is born with special needs has value. Because that child has been created in the image of God. And that's why that older person who is getting forgetful and whose body is is failing still has value because they have been created in the image of God. And that's foundational to how we view the world, isn't it? To how we view life. That's why we are pro-life. That's why we are against euthanasia. That's why we value life at every stage from conception all the way until God decides to take that life. And so we dare not neglect or destroy what is precious to God. And yet we know we live in a culture that really does not embrace this truth anymore. The sanctity of life has been replaced with the so-called quality of life. And who decides what is a quality life? And so the world is saying, now nah, that life really doesn't matter. What kind of a life will that person have? Might as well just end it. A life that is precious to God. A life that is created in His image. So how confused can we get to the point where we say it's, it's okay to, to take the life of an unborn child, but boy, don't take the life of an eagle. We'll put you in jail for that. Confused, isn't it? Because we've abandoned the very foundation of the Word of God. We have somehow said, you know, the book of Genesis, that's just a myth. You can't really believe that. The religion of evolution is engulfing our culture today. And its view of life is not the view of the Bible. Foundational to a biblical view of life is understanding the book of Genesis. We know that sin came into the world and that impacted this image of God in which we have been created. But it wasn't completely destroyed because even after the fall, we still still see that Reference to being created in the image of God. Look at James chapter 3. Remember that passage where it says, With our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be this way. And so even after the fall, we who were created formed in our mother's womb. We still bear some resemblance to the image of God, though sin has affected that. And this is where Jesus comes in. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15, whose ministry is to restore what was lost in the fall. And listen how Paul refers to this image of God so often in his epistles. 
Romans 8.29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. So that's why God has called us to salvation, that in Jesus we might be conformed to His image. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49, Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. 2 Corinthians 3, Now this, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Colossians 3, don't lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices and you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So as believers in Jesus, we experience in increasing measure what God created us to be Until one day we experience that in all of its fullness. So when you come to Jesus and He comes a part of your life, there's a process of change that He is making in you, making you more like Jesus, more like His image. But there will be a day when Jesus comes again, when we will experience that in all its fullness as it was intended to be. Listen to 1 John 3, 1 and 2. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. And then John writes, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But then he says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. In all that fullness of of, of what God created, created us to be, in his image, though marred by sin, restored by Jesus... Think of that. I'm not sure all that means, but we will be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. A few years ago, we bought an old boat. And it needed some work. It had been marred by years of use. And the the, the outside was all scratched and faded. And the inside, you walked on the floor and it was saggy and ugly and we just uh, basically tore it apart took all the flooring out put new flooring in carpeted it painted it restored it and if you looked at pictures of what it was like before and after you can see what a change came. well God has come to do that in, in our lives to save us from our sin to restore us to renew us To make us like Jesus. And one day then to stand in His presence like Him forevermore. Thank God for that. He is our Creator. We have been made in His 
image. And oh, to, to know Him and to experience that, that change, that process of, of God making us more like Jesus, that's a beautiful thing. Sometimes it's a painful thing too. It's a process of God molding and shaping us. And one day in all of its fullness, we will stand perfected, glorified in His presence. Do you know this Jesus? Do you have a living relationship with Him? Are you being conformed to His image daily as the Spirit of God is molding and shaping your life? What a glorious hope we have to stand in His presence. We shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. All because of Jesus. And what He did to restore what was lost in the fall. Praise His name. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for who You are. You are the image of the invisible God. And You restored what was lost in the fall. Though we have been made in Your image, O God, uh, uh, sin has marred that. But Jesus has restored it. Thank You for Him. For the One who came to take our sin all the way to the cross, to bear it for us, to suffer in our place, to die and to rise again, that we might have that hope of eternal life. Oh God, do your work in our midst today. Thank you for who you are, our creator and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.